0: by one another and uh yeah, there's churches um, currently around this country that may have better preachers they may have better worship leaders uh they may have better youth pastors but i will say this with a lot of confidence and and thankfulness i've never been a part of a church that the pastors are so much entwined and very healthy uh, and very much on the same page with how we do ministry here so that is a that's not based off us that's because god deserves that so thank i just want to thank them if you rarely ever thank them or haven't got to know them please do that they are great their families are great i just want to encourage you to do that uh for those who are online i apologize hopefully you can hear us now i think we fixed that problem um and so hopefully you've been able to sing with us and, and 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 kind of uh Follow along with us through the responsive reading. So we are in the book of Luke again. We are back in Luke. We're in Luke chapter 13. um, And we'll be in the book of Luke for uh, a few weeks. Uh, November the 1st, we're going to do a Reformation Sunday uh, service. And so we will have a sermon based off that history. But then we'll be back into Luke during the month of November. And then we will have an Advent series, a Christmas series, uh, once Thanksgiving is over. So we're going to be in Luke for a little bit. And so... We've been going through Luke for a while now. We've kind of been going in and out of it, so we're back into it. Luke chapter 13, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 9. There were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood, Pilate, had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans? Because they suffered in this way, no, I tell you, the Jesus, saying, "But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish." Or those eighteen on whom this tower in Shalem fell on, fell and killed them. Do you think they that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Verse six. And he told this parable, and a man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, look, for three years now I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, sir, let it alone alone this year also, until I dig around it and put on manure. Then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good, but if not, you can cut it down. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that we now come to an opportunity, Lord, to hear from you. Uh, Lord, may I just be a vessel, a mouth, Lord, to but you would speak to the hearts of people here, the people that are watching online, that you would speak to them, Lord, that you would open their hearts to understand and to respond to the truth. Lord, we pray for uh, churches in our country, Lord. We especially want to pray for Capitol Hill Baptist Church Uh, And Pastor Mark Dever and the other pastors there, Lord, as they are currently suing the city of D.C. because they cannot meet. They cannot worship. Even though protests have gone on and and other types of public venues have happened, but yet the church cannot meet because the government has restricted. Lord, I pray, Lord, that they would have success in this lawsuit so that the church at Capitol Hill Baptist Church can meet and worship and gather together. Lord, I pray, Lord, that your will will be done. We pray for other churches who are going through similar situations in the cities that they are meeting at, Lord. We pray, Lord, that your will will be done, Lord, that your kingdom would come through these churches and through their ministry and, through for, and their love for you and their love for your word and their love for the church. Lord, we pray for those who are sick. Who aren't able to be with us, Lord, because they're either are working or they're at home for other reasons, Lord. We pray, Lord, that you would strengthen them this week. We pray they'll be encouraged by the message that they're watching online. They, work, they listen to it this, this week, Lord. And bring them back to us next week. Lord, we pray for our um, um, Southwest Baptist Association, Lord. We pray for, for Pastor Ed and his leadership as well. We pray for the other churches in our association, Lord, during this time. That we would work together and, 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 and share resources together, Lord, for the further of your kingdom. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. amen. Uh, so after, I love that song, um, um, you know, talking about um, landings, landing safe on Cana's side. It's just a great song. And, and as I was singing it, I was like, man, I should title the sermon that. Because I think it really goes well with what we're going to talk about today. But instead, I, I, I titled it this. Um, I titled it, Sinners um, in, in the Hands of a Patient God. Sinners in the Hands of a Patient God. So I'm kind of ripping from Jonathan Edwards a little bit and changing the title a little bit, but I do want to talk about Jonathan Edwards, uh, probably one of, one of the most famous sermons in American history. I mean, I remember reading this sermon in my English literature textbook when I was in high school. It's odd that this is considered the, probably the most famous uh, sermon in American history. And obviously it was given by Jonathan Edwards before there was actually an American nation, before the United States was actually founded in 1776. Jonathan Edwards gave this sermon on July 8, 1741 in Northampton. Sinners in the hands of an angry God. And when he talks about it, in he's actually, uh, the sermon, that the, the text by which he is using is, uh, is in the book of Psalms. And he, and he talks about that... that um, that basically we humans and, and, and the natural man are exposed to destruction. That they are on slippery ground. And the reason why they haven't gone into destruction, the reason why they ha- God hasn't judged them, is because God's appointed time has not come for them. That we are all, the natural man, that humanity is, is, could easily and quickly fall into destruction if it wasn't for the pleasure of God. That the pleasure of God is the only, the only thing that prevents destruction falling on all of your heads this moment. It is by the pleasure of God. Jonathan Edward Edwards says in his sermon, There is this clear evidence that man's only wisdom is no security to them from death. Basically, your destruction and your death and your suffering, you cannot prevent it by your wisdom. It's only by God's will that you have yet to die. Jonathan Edwards says. The main idea for this sermon. Due to the fallen nature of the world from sin, all will face suffering and death. But those who repent and trust in Christ will enter the rest of God. Due to the fallen nature of the world from sin, all will face suffering and death. But those who repent and trust in Christ will enter the rest of God you children, if you're kind of like, alright, remember Matt, you, Pastor Matt, you've, you've always given us three words to help us here since we're in this room. We'd rather be downstairs with the other kids, but because of COVID, we're up here with our parents. How can you help us not get bored? Uh, so the three words. So after I'm done, you're going home with your, your parents, ask them what these three words mean. These words are repentance, rest, and patience. Repentance, Rest and patience. The world, as Jonathan Edwards say, says in his sermon, we're all on the slippery ground to destruction. And it's only by the will of God, the pleasure of God, that you haven't fallen into this destruction. And we think about the world right now. The 2020 has the, been known as one of the worst years in human history, right? Every day seems like it brings a new thing to kind of go, oh my goodness. I was reading in the newspaper last week, we have a friend who works at Disney World. And the reason why we've gone to Disney World as many times as we had is because she gets it in for free. We have a friend. She went to the University of Tennessee with Lisa, and we've kind of stayed in contact with her. And she's been furloughed since March. And I read in the newspaper, in the Wall Street Journal, that Disney is going to lay off 28,000 employees. Disney, the one who makes Star Wars and Marvel, who makes billions upon billions upon billions of dollars, is laying off 28,000 workers because they are losing money. Uh, United Airlines has fired laid off 32,000 workers during COVID. Right now, there's 12.8% of the United States workforce is unemployed, meaning they want a full job. Actually, the unemployment is actually lower than that. It's like 7%. But those who actually want a full-time job, then there's some people who are working part-time, or seasonal, but they want a full-time job, and that po- uh, population of workers is 12.8 percent. Very high. We have friends here in Evansville uh, that own White Swan White Swan Coffee. A lot of you go to that coffee shop re- very regularly. David and Kendra are in the, the. They may be having to sell their business because of COVID. Destruction has fallen upon their small business. Think of the fires in Napa and uh, Napa Valley. All the—I think as I read this morning—there are thousands of residents that are evacuated due to their homes being in the danger zone. There's so many things going on in the world that it seems like we're all on slippery ground. That we're all just waiting to fall into suffering and death. One of the major things that I want to communicate today is to find sanctuary, to find rest from suffering and death is through repentance of sin and trust in Jesus Christ. To find sanctuary from suffering and death through repentance of sin and trust in Christ Jesus. So we, again, I'm going to have to kind of somewhat uh, remind you, because we've been out of Luke for a while now, but most of all of chapter 12, Luke, I mean, Jesus has been talking to this great crowd of people, and he's mostly talking to the disciples about the Pharisees and some other issues with people. He's talking a lot about judgment. But in the middle of chapter 12, he does talk about, do not be anxious. He says to the disciples, in verse 22 of chapter 12, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, but what you put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. And he tells them to consider the ravens and the lilies of the field. Say, so don't be anxious. But here's the issue. There is a reason why people are anxious. There's a reason why people are in fear. Why? Because the world, things happen in the world that cause suffering. There's things that happen in the world that cause death, and therefore we are anxious. We're concerned about the future. Same setting, same group of people, same crowd, Jesus is talking to them in in chapter 13, verse 1. There were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood, Pilate, had mingled with their sacrifices. So, sub-point number one, or point A, suffering and death affects all people. Suffering and death affects all people. So, this crowd is talking to Jesus, and they tell him about the Galileans, whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifice. It's kind of a weird phrasing. What is? What are they talking about? Well, it's kind of... Contro- not controversial, but there's some disagreement about what is going on. What, what are they referring to? One possible thing is that some groups of Galileans were executed by Pilate during the time of the sacrifices. Maybe during during the time of, of, of the Day of Atonement or during the time of the Passover, or maybe they're executed near when the sacrifices are happening, and that's what it means by the blood mingling with the sacrifices. But what is being told is that there was a group of Galileans that were brutally executed by Pilate in the Roman Empire. Maybe they were crucified. Maybe they were beheaded. Maybe they were, whatever whatever way they were killed, they were killed by the Romans. They were executed by the Romans as criminals. And he says to Jesus, these Galileans, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the others? This is Jesus talking to the crowd because they suffered in this way. So basically, the crowd is say, hey, 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 Jesus, what do you think about these people who Pi- Pilate executed? We heard, and they must have been pretty bad people to be executed in this particular way. To not only die, by the Romans, but to die on the sacrifices, at the time of the sacrifices or near the sacrifices. Was their suffering due to their sinfulness? Is that why they suffered? Are they, do they suffer because they are sinners and because they deserve this? Almost acting as the crowd is better than this group of Galileans because they haven't been killed in this way. Only this particular group. Which brings out this idea that we think of karma. Karma is this, is this system that is formalized in, in, the, in the Hindu world, in India, and in other parts of the Hindu world. But karma is actually something that a lot of Americans and and Westerners believe in. What does karma mean? That it's a law that every action has an equal reaction, either immediately or at some point in the future. That basically if you do a good, virtuous action, it will lead to a good reaction. And if you do a bad action, it will lead to a bad reaction. That's basically what the crowd is saying to Jesus. It's like, well, based off karma, they deserve to be killed this way. They must have done something wrong. Jonathan Edwards in his sermon, in the hands of the anger guy, even says, each one imagines that he lays out matters better for his own escape than others have done. Because there's this idea that we as humans think that, if we can, that based off our own ethics, our own morality, based off our own wisdom, that we can actually escape destruction. We can escape suffering. We can escape death. Jesus even goes a little bit further. He says, Or those 18 on whom the tower on Sh- Salem fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse animal- uh, criminals than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? What is your explanation on why bad things happened to people? Why did these 18 people who were just living their life in a tower literally falls on them and kills them? What have they done wrong? Are they worse criminals than you? Are they worse offenders than you? Are they worse sinners than you? What is your explanation on why bad things happen to people? Jonathan Edwards says in his sermon, But the foolish children children uh, of men do miserably delude themselves in their own schemes, and in their own confidence, in their own strength and wisdom. They trust to nothing but a shadow. People put their trust in that, that they're not going to go into suffering or death by their own wisdom, by their own morality, by their own ethics, by their own kindness and good deeds. But we live in a fallen world. Because of the sin of Adam and Eve, we live in a fallen world. We live in a world full of sin. We live in a world full of suffering. We live in a world full of destruction. We live in a world full of death. Not because there is a certain group of people that are worse off than others, and that's why they deserved it. No, because we live in a fallen world. Sin has come into the world, and death has come into the world because of sin, Paul says in Romans 5. The fallen world is full of suffering... And, death. and the question is, is what hope do you have in a fallen world? How can you be at peace? How can you be at rest in a fallen world? And the answer is not be an ethical, kind, moral person. Find ways to circumvent or find ways to escape. That is foolishness. Jesus gives an answer. His answer is quite interesting. He says it twice after each story. In verse 3 and in verse 5, it says the same words, No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. He says no to this question, did they suffer in this way? Did they die? Did they suffer because they were sinners? Talk about the Galileans. Then he says about the people who the tower fell upon, are they worse offenders than all the others who live in Jerusalem? Is that why destruction and suffering and death fell upon them? Jesus says, actually quite, actually put an exclamation point, um, in my translation here. No! Of course not. It's not the answer. That's not the explanation. Karma is not the answer. The answer is, all must repent to be saved. All must repent. To be saved. How can you find rest in a fallen world? How can you find rest in a world full of suffering and death? The answer is repentance. Repentance of your sin. That you're all sinners. We live in a fallen world because of sin, and we're all sinners Therefore, the only way of escape, the only way of refuge, the only way of sanctuary and rest is in repentance of your sins and trust in Christ. You cannot escape suffering and eventual death through good works, through moralism, through idolistic stands, through volunteer work, through going on a protest movement. None of those will help you escape suffering and death. But yet, many, many people in the world believe that. If I'm just good enough, if I'm kind enough, if, on the, if I say likes, if I like all the right movements and stances, if I have all the right political opinions, then I will have rest. No, you won't. Because we all stand on what? Slippery grounds. We all stand on grounds of destruction, and all God has to do is snap his fingers, we would be fallen into destruction. That is not the way of escape. The way of escape, the Bible says, is actually repentance. We all deserve death due to our sin. Suffering is a part of the world due to the fallen nature of the world. Yes, the world is full of tragic things. And you shouldn't be all that shocked. Too often the world is shocked, like when things happen, right? I can't believe a tornado went through a city and killed 20 people. That's shocking. No, it's not. It's, not sh- it's tragic, but it's not shocking. Why? Because we live in a fallen world. These things happen. A city. That has a tornado come into it and and, and destroy buildings and things like that. It doesn't make the people of that city worse off than other people. They're not worse sinners than the other cities surrounding that city. No, because we live in a fallen world. And by living in a fallen world, tragic things happen. Jesus says, I tell you. These are the words of Christ Jesus. He's saying not only to them, but he's saying this, this to you. I tell you. So pay attention. God, the Son of God, is speaking to you. I tell you, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. As they perished, you will also perish if you don't repent. Now, he's not saying that you will also have a tower fall upon you if you don't repent, or that you will be killed by a Roman general, a governor, the way that, he, that they did, at the Galileans. But what he's talking about is if you do not repent, you will fall into judgment and destruction. That's why to Jesus saying that repentance is necessary. Well, what is repentance? What is repentance? We go going, back, going to the, the story of Peter and his sermon at Pentecost in Acts 2.37, when he preaches his message, what, what is the words that are used to express the hearts of the people? They're cut to the heart. They're convicted of their sin. He's even said, he even says in the verse prior to that, Jesus Christ whom you crucified. He's just already telling them, you're a sinner, and look what your sin has led to. Your sin has led to their Christ crucifixion. You are guilty. They're cut to the heart. And what does Peter say to them when they ask, how can we be saved? What does he say? Repent. What is repentance? To undergo a change in your frame of mind. To recognize that you are not just simply a good, kind person. In actuality, God sees you as a sinner... And the only way to have rest in God and forgiveness and salvation God is to repent of your sin. To turn away, to change your frame of mind, to repent of your sin and recognize that you are a sinner, that you're guilty of your sin, and to put your trust in Christ Jesus. The, the people of Jerusalem during the time of Peter's sermon, they recognize this. They recognize that they're a sinner. They recognize the need to put their faith in in Christ Jesus and what happened to them they were saved they enter into God's rest that moment the last point is this God is patient with you for a time God is patient with you for a time so Jesus entered, he, he says all these things he, he says unless you repent you will likewise perish he mentions this twice after these two examples and then he just gives a parable starting in verse 6 he told this parable. A man had a fig tree. So a man had a fig tree. And he planted this fig tree in the vineyard. In his vineyard. His vineyard. So he had an owner of this fig tree. And he planted it in his vineyard. It's not like the plant is planted in the desert. It's not like the plant is planted under all of these, all these trees. And therefore it can't get any sun to grow. He planted it in the vineyard. He gives it a particular place to do what? To grow. It's not like he even has a vine dresser. He has a worker who will who actually takes care of this tree. So don't get the mistake like, well, it makes sense that it didn't produce any fruit. Look where it was planted. No, no, no. It was planted in the vineyard. It was watered. It was given sun. He properly placed the fig tree to produce fruit. And the owner came... Seeking fruit from this fig tree. Well, it makes sense, right? It's planted in the vineyard. It's supposed to produce fig trees. I mean, fig uh, fruits. But yet he found none. Not only did he, he didn't find any, but it says for three years he has come seeking fruit from that tree. And every time it produced no fruit. It had no fruit. I find none. She's like, like, what's the point of having this tree? Let's cut it down. Let's plant something in that spot that will produce fruit. even says, why should we use up the ground? It's wasting space. It has no value to the owner. Because it's not producing any fruit. It could be replaced with a more fruitful tree. But the, the vine dresser, the vine worker, the, his, his servant that he has hired to work the vineyard for him says, leave it alone. I'll dig around it and put, on, put manure around it. Then, if it should, which this is an interesting phrasing, if it should, mean I'm not expecting it, but if it should produce fruit next year, well, good. Well, well good. Maybe there's fruit. But if it's not, which is actually the assumed it probably won't. since It, it hasn't, hasn't produced fruit in three years. Likely it won't produce fruit. But if it does, good and well. But if it's not, we'll cut it down. What does this parable have to do with the first section of the verse? It's interesting that the, the description here, that the tree is planted in the vineyard. That means it is a heart that is constantly hearing the word of God. Constantly having the word of God preached and taught and shared with them. They hear the word, but there's no fruit. The message is heard, but it doesn't benefit them. Their hearts, as the writer of Hebrews says, as he quotes Psalms 95 of David, their hearts are hardened to the message. They harden their heart to the truth. They've hardened their heart to the message, and that's why it has no benefit to them. Because they hear it all the time. They're the people who listen to it on Caleb all the time, but yet they don't believe it. They don't trust it. And they're continually staying anxious. They're continuously concerned. They're continuously at fear because they have not entered God's rest. Why? Because they've heard the message, but don't trust the message. Their hearts are hardened to the message. what the bible is saying here is that we live in a fallen world suffering and death is inevitable the only way of escape the only way of refuge the only way of rest in this fallen world is what through christ but how do you have Christ? repentance repentance you're a sinner there's no reason in trying to argue that out you are a sinner we're all sinners we have sinful nature you have to ask the question, well, why do people do evil things? Because people are sinful. That's the answer. Why does my why does my girlfriend, or why does my wife, or why does my husband, why does my mother or father always always make me angry? Why do they always do things against me? Because they're sinners. Why do you sin against them? Because you're a sinner. There's the explanation. And being a certain sinner is not gonna prevent you or cause more suffering or less suffering. Why? Because suffering and death is an in a fallen world. Being a kind person will not save you. Being more moral will not change your status before God. You're a sinner. And only by repentance and faith in Christ will you be at peace. Will you have rest? Will you have sanctuary? While the promise still stands, the writer of Hebrews says. This promise of rest in God through the Lord Jesus Christ. It stands now, but it may not always stand. Don't fail to reach it, the writer of Hebrews says. Don't fail to enter God's rest. God is patient. 2 Peter 3, 8-10, we learn that God is patient. He is not slow to fulfill His promises like we consider slowness, but God is patient. Hoping that, uh, desiring that all would what? Reach repentance, Peter says. But, Peter says later on, the day of the Lord will come. So yes, God is patient, but the day of the Lord will come. As Jonathan Edwards says, we all stand on a slippery ground. If it wasn't for the will of God, you would fall into destruction. God is patient. While it still stands, enter God's rest. You've got to harden your heart for the message. Hear his word, hear the gospel, hear the truth of God's word. Repent, respond, believe, trust, and enter the rest of God. You continue to say no, you continue to harden your heart. God may be patient for a while. The day of the Lord will come. Enter his rest while it still stands. Jonathan Edwards, in his application of his sermon, he says good state of your bodily constitution your care of your own life and the means you use for your own preservation but indeed these things are nothing if God should withdraw his hand they would avail no more to keep you from falling than the thin air to hold up a person that is suspended in it our sinfulness makes all of us as it, as it were heavy as lead in your healthy constitution and your own care and your prudence and all your Righteousness would have no more influence to uphold you and keep you out of hell than a spider's web would have to stop a falling rock. There is an assumption in the western world that your ethics and morality and how good and kind you are is enough. And that is exactly what Jonathan Edwards is saying. It's like a spider web having the hope to actually catch a heavy rock. It is Worthless. It is worthless to find refuge from the suffering and death of the world. It's worthless to find sanctuary from the suffering and death of the world. It provides no hope. The only hope, the only place of rest, is actually recognizing this one amazing fact that you are a sinner. And if you are a sinner, where is your source of refuge? From the wrath of God, Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus alone. You have no hope for rest or sanctuary within yourself. All path to rest is in this world full of danger and suffering and death. And the only path to rest in this world is repentance and faith in Christ. And God is patient. He's willing to wait for a time. And you don't know that time, and I don't know that time, but as Jonathan Edwards says, you're standing on slippery ground. You're standing on ground waiting to fall into destruction, and if it wasn't for the pleasure of God, you would immediately go there. You're spending over thin air. Today, as the writer writer says, today, do not harden your heart. Today, enter into God's rest. Today, to the message of God's Word. Today, repent of your sin or likewise perish. Today. Not tomorrow, not next week, not next month, not when you're rich and you have children and therefore religion is more important than, not when you're on your deathbed because at that point you might as well just say, I love Jesus and follow Jesus. No, today, follow Christ. Today, repent of your sin. You already are a sinner. Repent of your sin and put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. So, Lord, we thank you so much, Lord, that you are a patient God. But we recognize the fact, Lord, that we are sinners. We recognize the fact, Lord, that we are hopeless in a world, in a fallen world, full of suffering and death. There's so many examples in our lives right now of of chaos that surrounds us. And it's caused people to be full of anxiety and full of depression and full of concern and fear. Which makes complete sense. But yet their attempts, Lord, to to find escape and refuge and sanctuary is through their own righteousness, their own wisdom. And that is foolish, Lord. The only source of rest, the only source of sanctuary is in the Lord, in you, Lord. To sovereign over everything. And the path to that rest. The path to enter into that sanctuary and refuge. Is through repentance of sin. And trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if there's anyone Lord. That has been striving and laboring. To enter into some sanctuary and rest. And have failed over and over and over again. May it more they be open to a new path the better path, the path of God, the path that leads to joy and life everlasting, which is through Christ. For Lord, I pray that you would place upon their hearts the burden and guilt of their sin. And Lord, may they confess that to you, knowing Lord, that you will forgive them of that sin, and that you will save them through the blood of Jesus Christ. Lord, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to take up the Lord's Supper, and uh, the, this is, um, as we say every week, this is for believers. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you've been baptized um, by water baptism,